0: Welcome to the Daily Bite with your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today's chapter, Isaiah 47, is a brief return to the the speaking of judgment against, this time, Babylon, uh, one of the enemies of God's people. Come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit on the ground without a throne, O daughter of the Chaldeans. For you shall no more be called tender and delicate. Take the millstones and grind flour. Put off your veil, strip off your robe, uncover your legs. Pass through the rivers, your nakedness shall be uncovered and your disgrace shall be seen. I will take vengeance and I will spare no one. Our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, Yahweh, Yahweh of hosts is his name, is the Holy One of Israel. Sit in silence and go into darkness, O daughter of the Chaldeans for you shall no more be called the mistress of kingdoms. I was angry with my people. I profaned my heritage. I gave them into your hand. You showed them no mercy. On the aged, you made your yoke exceedingly heavy. You said, I shall be mistress forever, so that you did not lay these things to heart or remember their end. Now, therefore, hear this, you lover of pleasures, who sit securely, who say in your heart, I am and there is no one besides me. I shall not sit as a widow or know the loss of children. These two things shall come to you in a moment. In one day, the loss of children and widowhood shall come upon you in full measure, in spite of your many sorceries and the great power of your enchantments. You felt secure in your wickedness. You said, no one sees me. Your wisdom and your knowledge led you astray. And you said in your heart, I am and there is no one besides me. But evil shall come upon you, which you will not know how to charm away. Disaster shall fall upon you, for which you will not be able to atone. And ruin shall come upon you suddenly, of which you know nothing. Stand fast in your enchantments, and put your many sorceries, which you have labored from your youth. Perhaps you may be able to succeed. Perhaps you may inspire terror. You are wearied with your many counsels. Let them stand forth and save you, those who divide the heavens, who gaze at the stars, who look at the new moons, making known what shall come upon you. Behold, they are like stubble. The fire consumes them. They cannot deliver themselves from the power of the flame. No coal for warming oneself is this, no fire to sit before. Such to you are those with whom you have labored, who have done business with you from your youth. They wander about each in his own destruction, his own direction. There is no one to save you. This is the word of the Lord. So, this chapter is a call for mourning, uh, for grief over the destruction that is about to come on Babylon. It also serves as a call to repentance, although, when you read through the whole thing, it really does not sound. As though repentance is going to come, and historically speaking, I think for the most part, we know that repentance didn't come. The question would be on the individual level, were there some within Babylon who realized the wickedness of their ways and repented? We can't answer that question. We'll only know when we get to paradise, if they're there or not. The beginning of the chapter, they are to sit in the dust. That is a, a reference to the destruction that will be at hand. We see the fire later in the chapter in verse 14. Uh, So you get the idea that basically Babylon is destroyed by fire, burned to the ground, and all that is left for these women is to sit in dust, to sit in the rubble of what remains. Uh, The the idea of calling them virgin daughter of Babylon in verse 1, perhaps a note to this being a younger generation that has yet to commit the same crimes as their fathers? Maybe. But at the same time, we still see, again, throughout this text, that sin is certainly attributed to them, numerous different types of sin here. And it, again, doesn't sound like they will be saved when you read verse 15 at the end. They are being taken from this position of of prominence, where they were rulers, and now their throne has been taken away, and they are lowly servants. That's the message of verses 1 through 3 god is going to take vengeance and he will spare no one this is true of god's judgment day whenever it comes if it's the judgment day upon a nation or if it's the judgment day uh, that we call the last day when god returns christ returns for us all verse four is isaiah speaking of israel so our redeemer god is the redeemer of his people god is the redeemer of of israel he is going to rescue them from babylon by destroying babylon Yahweh of hosts is his name. Yahweh of armies is his name. Uh, Stumbled through that a bit in the reading. Uh, Yahweh is the divine name. It is a confession of faith. It simply means he is. He says, I am. Which again, interestingly, as you look at the text here in verse 8 and in verse 10, the Babylonians are accused of using that language. I am and there is none besides me. That's the language God alone can speak and has been speaking in the last several chapters. We've seen it several times, and now they say it instead. So Yahweh, he is a declaration of faith, not going to be on the lips of these Babylonians or Chaldeans. Mistress of Kingdoms is a title given to her here that shows some some mastery, some rule over the house uh, to some extent. And then God gives us a little historical glimpse here in verse 6 of what has happened. The way that the text is worded here makes it sound as though Babylon's destruction of God's people in Judah has already occurred, even though it really hasn't yet. So as we look at, flip into my study Bible's notes here real quick to see the dates on Isaiah again. Isaiah is... 740 to 681 BC. It's not for another hundred years before Judah is destroyed by Babylon. So you could have some of Israel being destroyed by Assyria in this context, but the specific mentions of Babylon and Chaldeans, it seems a little bit more to talk about the the latter when God will rescue. Again, he's a redeemer of Israel in verse four. The Israelites never return from Assyria, but the Judaites do return. From Babylon, so it seems like that. Although again, it's speaking in past tense of an event that has yet to happen, so it's kind of interesting. Uh, with again, verse six, God saying, "I was angry with my people; I gave them into your hand." So God allowed Assyria to judge Israel. God allowed Babylon to judge Judah, but they they weren't to delight in it. Uh, they were they were to judge. They were not to to revel. Um, you think of a parent disciplining the child you discipline your child because it has to happen you're not supposed to enjoy it and, and that's the case here babylon was called upon by god to judge god's people but they showed no mercy they did not take the things of god to heart but instead remained in their own pride verse 8 god calls them lover of pleasures this is what hedonism is. Uh, hedonism is a, a way of life by which you, you seek after every pleasure you can, while at the same time uh, avoiding pain and avoiding suffering. That's very much the culture that we are today as a society in America. So it's a, a reference that we should pick up on as well. Now, not only were they lovers of pleasure, they sat securely This is being said as a bad thing. So a question to unpack together as a family. Why is security a risk? Why is security bad for us? It's another way to phrase that. And you could even take it to comfort as well. Comfort, happiness, those kinds of things end up fitting into this conversation because it's about the idea of where our trust is and where our hope is if we sit securely as babylon did we don't believe we have any need of god we don't see the need to be saved ourselves which is again coming back in 15 when the destruction finally comes upon them there will be no one to save them they didn't think they needed it they were prideful they trusted in themselves and the works of their own hands and they did not trust in god that's the key and our comfort can lead us to this in our, our position today too. Um, we are one of the wealthiest nations in the world and we start trusting in our wealth or in our military might or whatever it may be instead of trusting in the Lord that he will care for us. Someday all of those things are going to be taken away. Your security, your comfort, your home, your clothes, your money, um, your your fame, whatever it may be, all that stuff disappears. As you stand, a mere sinner, before the judgment throne of God. And if your trust was in those things, then your end will be the same as the the Chaldean sorcerers we were about to read about. But if your trust is in Christ, if you come before the Lord on the judgment day humble and acknowledging that you bring nothing before him, that you are not worthy, but that he has called you his child. Those are the words that we should be learning to speak as we prepare to come before God's throne. There is loss coming. Again, we said this is in contrast. They said, I am, there is no one besides me, and now they're going to lose everything. When the judgment strikes, you lose everything. Verse 9 indicates that their religious beliefs included sorcery and enchantments. I don't know much about it. I can't really tell you a whole lot in detail about what they were up to, and probably not all that helpful to do so anyway. But this is real stuff. Whereas Marduk may be a false god just made up. Sorcery is very real. one way to think about sorcery magic the, the dark arts whatever you want to phrase it as the devil the devil has no problem loaning you his power he's strong he's powerful in his own own ways nowhere near as powerful as god but he is powerful he is strong and he does not mind giving you his strength Because in giving you his strength, he is leading you away from God. Ask your children here on this one. Do you think the devil cares if you call him Satan or if you call him Marduk? Not at all. Whatever whatever it takes to get you to not call upon the name of Christ is going to be well and good in the devil's eyes. In fact, we could even say perhaps calling him Jesus For those whose views of Jesus are so distorted that they're not actually worshiping Christ. They're worshiping another false god of their own imagination. Which is sadly true in our culture today as well. There are so many who follow uh, prosperity gospel. Where the devil is just giving them whatever they want in this life. In order to keep them away from the true salvation that is had in Christ. There's a lot of danger out there. The devil works in many ways himself in order to destroy And sorcery is one of them. It's one that we don't have a lot of experience with, by and large, in the American culture today. Um, But that could change. Who knows what the generations coming may look like. So again, verse 10, they felt secure in their sin, but it led them astray. And now disaster will fall upon them, and there will be no one to atone for them. We cannot atone for ourselves good way to remember this atone word is at one. And this could be an interesting uh, family devotion. If you're up for it, if you have a, an old pot or old cup or something that you don't care about, because we're going to break it. If you don't care about something like that, uh, you've got an old one that you don't mind getting rid of, and you don't mind cleaning up a mess, take that old pot or that old cup and fill it with water. And then as a family, somewhere safe, where you can do this as safely as possible, drop it, let it shatter, let it break. And then as you have that mess, the broken pieces, um, some of them as fine as a powder if you broke a clay pot, for example. And then the water, and it's all just everywhere. Ask your children, like Humpty Dumpty, the old story, if they can put it all back together again. That's what this at one atonement thing is about. It's making it at one. To atone for something is to make it whole again. Our relationship before the Lord on account of our sin has been shattered like that pot. Can you pick up all the pieces and put them back together again perfectly with all the water back in its place? No, we can't do that. We are not capable of atoning for ourselves, but this is what Jesus Christ came to do. His death on the cross takes away our sin. It takes away our brokenness. It atones us with the Lord so that we can stand before him on judgment day, not in our own pride, not claiming the works of our own hands, but pointing to his own work that he has done for us, pointing to his promises that he has spoken of us. The last day will come suddenly, whether it's in the judgment day we're talking about for Babylon or if it's the last day when Christ returns, it will come suddenly. So the scriptures tell us to be watchful, to be prepared, always awake, always alert. Verse 12, uh, similar to the court image that we had before where God encouraged them to stand before him and give their account and see if it stands here he's telling them something similar but it's a more of a battle image go ahead trust in your sorceries and your enchantments and let's see if they work stand before me perform your tricks that's the kind of thing that we have here see if you succeed perhaps you may succeed perhaps you may inspire terror verse 13 shows us that they were part of their practices involved divination um, Trusting in the spirits of the stars and and, and things like that. We call uh, astrology as part of that today. Uh, Horoscopes even. Stay away from that stuff. Not helpful. Not good. We've been told not to. We trust in the Lord. We take it a day at a time. But they trusted in these. Verse 14. Destruction falls upon the ones in whom Babylon hopes. So in these diviners, these sorcerers, these enchanters, all those whom they've placed their hope and their trust gone destroyed they cannot deliver themselves from the power of the flame which we think of destruction and fire in the scriptures we think of hell it's not a warm fire to sit beside this is a consuming fire verse 15 there is no one to save you So again, this is a chapter of judgment upon the nation of Babylon for what they've done. But we are thankful that there is a Savior, that there is a Redeemer. Jesus Christ, who has come to set us free.